How is everyone? Anybody went to the beach this week and just got totally depressed? Anybody? People that went to the beach this week, I hate that for them. You plan? Nobody went to the beach this week? Summer is for relaxation, fun, sunshine, eating. I uh, went to Planet Fitness yesterday, uh, two days ago in Tifton, Georgia. Anyone been to Planet Fitness? Any Planet Fitness people in here? I was really impressed. It's really, really nice. And they gave me a free day pass and uh, took Sammy over there looking for something to do and working out a little bit. And when I walked in, I noticed some stuff on the wall. Just as a leader, I like to look at organizations, how they lead the organizations. What is your vision, your mission? How do you step into it? And I want to show some pictures before I even get into the sermon this morning. I want to show some pictures of conversation I had with the father while I was on the elliptical machine for about 40 seconds. Um, up on the wall is, can we go back to that, is, is the sign that says a judgment-free zone. My father started speaking to me. Let's go to the next one. Said no critics. Let's go to the next one. You belong. And then the next one, I don't know if you can I'm so used to zooming in. I want to take my fingers right now and zoom in. It says a lunk alarm, L-U-N-K. Apparently a lunk is a a meathead that screams into the mirror and drinks a gallon of water in front of everyone. And, And so I started talking to the father. Let's go back to the no critics and no judgment. I had an interesting conversation because at first glance, this feels very warm, Right? A few days ago was celebration, the 75th anniversary of Normandy, Omaha Beach. And I just had a long conversation with the father about something. I just want to let you in on what I was talking to him about. We have to be really careful because if you can unintentionally step into a place and find community where you have no challenge and where there is no challenge, there is no growth. There is nothing inherently evil about a judgment-free zone. I hear this a lot about me. A lot of the accusations about me is uh, Chad just doesn't know how to love. That's a lot of the stuff that we've been through in the last, really, since we began ministry, love looks like something. Chad doesn't know how to love. Remember when Jesus, he, he said, Simon, who do you say that I am? And he said, you're the son of God. And he said, he, Jesus celebrated Simon. He said, this is incredible. Only the father could have told you this. But in the next sentence, he actually challenges Simon Peter Peter, and says, get behind me, Satan. Don't ever associate in a community, a church, an organization, if you want to grow, that doesn't challenge you to some degree. Because what you may think is a judgment-free zone or a critic-free zone may actually be only a place that's enabling you to snuggle up to your own insecurities where you don't grow. I was talking to uh, Wildman this morning about a Navy SEAL podcast. And the premise of the podcast is if you want to grow, Daniel, basically do something that makes you uncomfortable, right? Um, to a spiritual orphan, a challenge sounds like criticism. To a spiritual orphan, the father's conviction feels like condemnation. But to a, to a true son and daughter... You want to be in a place where there is some critical thinking and some challenge. We want to create here at Bridgeway a safe environment that's challenging. 
And if you're not careful, you will snuggle up to either an ideology, a theology, or even a community that helps you be enabled and you never change. But you find a community that doesn't quote-unquote judge you and there's no critical thought. Really what's happening is it's a bunch of like-minded orphans that gather together and don't grow. Are y'all listening to me on this? Um, I... I cannot tell you how many times the father has said when I'll go work out. He says, not all the time, but a lot, go harder. I'm going to make this so clear, you have to hire someone to help you misunderstand it. God will initiate conflict in your life, not allow it, to groom you into the image of his son. If he sent his son into a desert, he might send you into one as well. Not because something's wrong, but because everything's right. You know, championship football coaches have the hardest time maintaining a culture of championships because people get used to winning and they don't want to work anymore. I read an article yesterday where Clemson did not sell out a game in football last year. And I thought, how can you have the number one program in America and not sell out every game? I think it's because when you get used to being at the top, you, get, you just kind of get used to it. You take it for granted. You always want to stay hungry. And here's a way you stay hungry. You stay hungry with some form of sandpaper friction in your life. I'm preaching better than you're listening. I don't know if you aren't listening. I was on vacation last August with my family. Took a walk with the father. I said, Father, what's on your mind? He said, the hordes of hell are about to come for you. You're going to go through a season of gossip and slander. I said, what else is on your mind? Don't ask the father what's on his mind unless you mean it. What's the, what's the last time you took a walk with the father and, and instead of asking him for something, just asked him what's on his mind? And he's a person. He wants to be walked with. He led me to Rick Joyner's book called The Final Quest. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. It'll really help you understand warfare. Got to the table conference and God really showed off, did a lot of great things there. And from last August until now, I've never been more thankful in my life for God taking me through a hard season because it grooms you into what he's trying to help you become. Just because you're in Christ doesn't mean you're walking like him. You see, you take sanctification out of the picture and you're in trouble. A lot of the preferred grace teaching is you're in Christ, you don't need anything. Oh, bless your little heart. You need to be pruned. You see, God has pruned Bridgeway Church. And to the degree in which he prunes an organization is to the degree in which it will grow. Hold me to my words. I want you to watch the harvest that comes into this house in people, through people, in the fall. This is recorded. There's a recording that I showed the staff meeting. We recorded it last September. I had a heavenly encounter. Things that I said and that, that I said to the staff that is recorded, they came to pass. I am telling you as the father of this house, I want you to watch the harvest that comes in this year. Everyone wants to get to a promised land. No one wants to go through a split sea. You know, Moses is not, people talk about how if they wish they could have something to lead like Moses. Moses is probably still recovering from the stuff he had to go through. You want to be, you want to be great? Everybody wants to be like Noah. No one wants to, to build a boat. People make fun of you for 10 years. I'm looking at a couple right here that owns a vineyard. They didn't know anything about vineyards, nothing. I've got, I've got to send a film crew. I'm going to do it. I'm going to send a film crew to tell you all a story. 
People are like, what are you doing buying a vineyard? Now God's blessing it. Everyone wants the breakthrough. No one wants to go through the blood on the trail that gets you to the palace. You see, a lot of these young kids get these words about the palace. I see you as a king. You're going to be walking with kings. Well, you might not want to sit down with Jesus for 30 years and just figure out who he is and who you are. Don't trust anyone that doesn't limp. Sometimes you'll see like a 21-year-old who's not married who's ready to give marriage counseling. My wife and I won't let people speak into our lives that aren't broken. Israel was birthed out of a wrestling match with God and Jacob. This church has been birthed out of a wrestling match for 40 years. We're the 40-year mark of Mount Zion being started. Watch the harvest that comes in. I want you to watch legacy be fulfilled. I want you to watch buildings be built all over this campus. I'm telling you, it's coming. I can see it. I can smell it. I can feel it. I've seen it. You know, if if you want really, really intimate friendship with God, why are we surprised when historically all of God's really good friends go through a lot of storms? I read a little book last week on Spartans. There was a, a proverb that most people say, how many are the enemy? But Spartans would always ask, where is the enemy? Certain people are wired to live peacefully in storms. Jesus was. I mean, I don't know what life has thrown at you. Herod wasn't trying to kill you while you're in the womb. He couldn't even get out of the womb before he had conflict. No wonder, you look at his life, no wonder he got to the upper room and he said, all right, it's better for you guys if I go for than he can come. He was ready to go back to the Father. I, people expect a shalom life without the storms. There is no shalom without the storms. The best thing ever happened to me as a man, as a leader, as a father, as a husband, as a lead pastor is to go through a season of such vicious slander and gossip against me, my family, this house. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you. Because you got to get to a place in your walk with God where it's, you got to wrestle like Jacob did. It's one thing to get on a whiteboard and learn some cute shape that helps you memorize Galatians 2, 5, read another Beth Moore book. Sometimes you just got to get on that wrestling match. You got to have that dark night of the soul where you wonder if anything's real. You got to have that moment where it's like, God, are me and you okay? Where are you, God? Eloi, Eloi, lava sabach the night, where are you? If you hang in there long enough, that dark cloud not only will leave, it will turn into really bright sunshine. And nobody, nobody can take away your intimacy with God that you found in a dark place. Nobody, nobody, nobody. You can't take it from me. You can't take it from me. There's only one that matters. I'm going to stand in the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not going to stand in front of any accuser. You know what it's like to lead kids through a season over a year where people say so many ugly things about you and then to get to a place where honestly you're at complete peace? I don't think I've ever been this peaceful in my life. And I'm starting to learn the recipe It's like, why can't I just learn it through the scripture? All the great ones, including y'all, you got to go through the stuff to get to the shalom. 
Isn't it interesting that Simon Peter is at peace on the other side of his own betrayal to the Lord? How come Paul was at peace after getting blinded and put on the ground by God? I feel like Miley Cyrus. Whatever doesn't kill you is making you stronger. Huh? Whatever. <laughs> Justin Bieber, same thing. I don't know. <laughs> Who sang it? Taylor Swift? <laughs> Dolly Parton. <laughs> Spirit of Dolly Parton in here. <laughs> Who in here, don't, just don't be afraid to admit it. Who goes to Dollywood in the summer? Get out of this church. Get out of here. <laughs> I went last year. That place. When it's 100 degrees at Dollywood, it's sin. I'm just telling you. Some of them people don't need to be wearing bathing suits. Eat all that cement. Eating hot. Eating turkey. Walk around in a bathing suit. Who does that? All right, I'm about to preach a good sermon. Mark Twain is an incredible American writer. Mark Twain's famous quote, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. I don't want to speak to the whoever's listening out there or even a year from now on podcast. I want to speak to everyone in this room. Do you honestly know why you are here? I don't mean Bridgeway. I'm not talking about here. There's plenty of churches around here you could abide in and grow in. Why are you on this earth? We start a new series today. I'm really excited about this series. This series is at the core of just who we are as a church. Do you know that this piece of wood right here, it was a, this table was a tree on this property. This table is a picture of come to the table of intimacy with the Father David and Jonathan were best friends. They were covenant partners. Jonathan was the son of an evil and wicked king named Saul that God regretted making king. David made Jonathan a promise. He said, if something ever happens to you, I'll take care of all your kids. Well, Jonathan died because of the sin of his own dad because love has to look like something and it looks like obedience. It cost Saul his life and it cost Jonathan his life. And David found out that Jonathan had one more kid. His name was Mephibosheth. He was a crippled kid that lived in Lodibar. And David said, bring him to me. Mephibosheth is thinking, ah, this is not good. If a, if a king of Israel calls for you, in those days, if a king calls for you, it's, it's not to have, as we said in England a couple of weeks ago, a chat. I love how the Brits say that. Let's have a chat. You say, let's have a chat to an American. It's like, what I do wrong? A chat. What are you talking about? My dad said, let's have a chat. I did something wrong. They're not thinking they're going to have a chat with King David. Mephibosheth gets to the palace, and David says, come to my table, because I made a promise to your dad, I'll take care of you from here on out. The table is a picture of, we didn't deserve the Father, Jesus, or Holy Spirit. We don't deserve intimacy with God, but because of the sacrifice paid by Jesus Christ and the covenant swore to us, the covenant is not just we get to enjoy heaven when we die. The covenant is we get to live the rest of our lives at his table. And so the, the goal of the whole thing, the whole point of the original intent of God is not just to come to the table, it's to learn how to stay at the table, abide at the table, abide, stay, 
a lot of spiritual orphans come and go, come and go, come and go, come and go, come and go. I, I want, listen, I want to tie myself up to the table and I don't care what storm comes at me. I'm not going to step out of peace and relationship and intimacy with my father. The devil will come and shake that table, lie at you, tell you you don't deserve to be at the table. Let me tell you something. You do deserve to be at the table because it's never been about you in the first place. It was about the sacrifice of Jesus. You deserve to be in the table in the garden. Sin entered the picture. That's when things changed. But the Father already had the plan for you to be at the table. Even before the sin was committed, Jesus is an invitation to the table. What is the table? The table is the Father himself. It's the Father's table. You see, Jesus was and is submitted to the father of the table. Table on all seven continents denotes one thing, fellowship, intimacy. It reminds you of Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, prayer. The table is about intimacy. You see, God did not become intimate at the cross. He was intimate in the garden pre-sin. And just because you don't know something doesn't make it not true. Whatever thought you have of the Father is the most important thing you'll ever have about yourself. Because a lot of people, even in here, you believe in the sacrifice of Jesus, but you're not willing to accept that that blood is initiation for you to actually just come and stay at the table and live there the rest of your life. Jesus stepped into chaos and brought shalom. That table is a picture of shalom. The number one metaphor from Genesis to Revelation that is the picture of the kingdom of God. You know what it is? I've looked. Feasting. Is fasting real? Yeah. But comparatively, there's a lot more feasting than fasting. That's why they got so mad at Jesus because there's so much feasting while he was here. They called him a drunkard. <laughs> they called him a drunkard. It's amazing to me when people think Christians are boring. The Lord's not boring. You may be, but he's not boring. He's a God of feasting. His first miracle was wine. It wasn't kale. That wasn't a miracle. It was a demonic mistake. Something happened. Imagine going to heaven and the Father's like, hey, we want to celebrate your life. Let's just fast for a couple of months. Shoot this wheatgrass and go be quiet for a little bit. Do your crunches and CrossFit. No, you know what it's going to be like? Oh, Chad, I've killed a fatty calf for you. You got everybody here that's been intimate with you. You get to sit beside your grandma. Chad, we're going to feast. We're going to celebrate you. You know the Father's going to celebrate you when you go home? Do you know that when you go to heaven, there's a feast that celebrates your life? I'm not being metaphorical. I'm being literal. He loves to celebrate his kids. Why are you here? Well, I'm here to have a successful marriage, to be successful, to build his kingdom, to increase my borders, to get educated. Really? I mean, is that really why you're here? If you're really on the earth, to even, let's say you have the best marriage in the history of the planet. That's your existence. You're on this earth to have the best marriage ever or to be the best dad ever or to get four doctorates. Why? are you here? Because I'm going to answer it this morning why you're here. You may not know why you're here, but I can tell you why you're here. And until you find your why, because there's only one answer, you'll never have peace. I don't care if you're in church every time the doors are open. If you do not know the secret of Jesus' success, if you do not know 
his in, internal, still to this day, the Lord still lives for one thing. There is something about communion with the person he came to reveal that completes you. Let's look at some passages. Let's go to John 1.18. John 1.18. Then I want to talk about, a, about something else. John 1.18. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is the bosom of the Father. He has declared Him. Declared Him. Declared Him. I could talk about this till kingdom come. Why did Jesus come here? Well, brother, He came to be a propitiation for your sins so you can go to heaven when you die. That's a true statement. That's not why He came. Why did He come here? Yes, the sacrifice was paid. Yes, if I receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, yes, I do go to heaven when I die. But why did he come? Let's go to this next passage. Let's go to John fifteen six through 10. This smells like the Garden of Eden to me. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask for what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. There are people who are gifted as teachers that I've listened to many of their sermons last 30 years. Not one time do I ever hear the term Father. What's the second order of the Lord's Prayer? Father. You say, well, that's, that's not significant. I'm not so sure because every time the Lord opens his mouth and he's talking about God, he says, Father, 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 Abba in Aramaic, intimate term for daddy. I won't tell you the most shocking moment for Simon Peter's life. I'm telling you because growing up Jewish, when Jesus Christ told them, because they said, teach us how to pray. When Jesus Christ started talking to them about calling him Abba, they would have said, listen, I'm fine with you putting eyeballs back into people and raising the dead, even walking on water. That's fine. But you're telling me that this unapproachable God that I've heard stories my whole life that he said, even in Exodus, if you don't consecrate your animals, I'll kill them too. You're talking to him in intimate terms as daddy? <laughs> they, he would always go off to pray. The Lord would. Because when you're in love, Prayer is pleasure, it's not work. It just is. I don't have to force myself to pray. He's my father. He's the one preparing my barbecue right now for whenever I get there. They say, teach us how to pray. He said, okay, our father. You got to understand, the Lord is the one that introduced this idea to the disciples of intimacy with God. But the Lord did not teach them that that intimacy was because of Jesus and it started then. It actually started in Genesis 1. Genesis 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning, God, Elohim, plural form of God. God shows up early on in the story of the Bible and you say, well, who is he? What's he like? Do you know that same God was actually tender to Adam and Eve and even on the other side of their mistake, gave them clothing, protected them? Even when Cain kills Abel, it seems to me that Cain's not caught off guard by this same God's voice. You've got to be careful because intimacy with God doesn't start at the cross. 
Intimacy with God starts with in himself. He's always had a desire for fellowship and intimacy, being known and knowing. Even the Trinity is intimacy themselves. Let us make man in our image. Everyone say us. See, there's intimacy in God. You're not on this earth to develop a doctrine or a theology. You're on this earth to do what Adam and Eve were intended to do before they made their mistake and committed treason. It's to commune and be one with God. But if you believe that God's against you, not for you, if you believe that he's angry with you, why in the world would you want to come to a table? You see, here's what's interesting. When you start walking in friendship with a father and you get to his table, his expectations on you change. Gossip and slander is a huge deal to a friend of God. When you get to that table, you realize not any of my money belongs to me. You see, in covenant, there's a stronger party in a covenant. When you get to the table of friendship, you can have all of him, but that means you can have none of you. <laughs> and and that's, 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 where, that's what keeps people from going all in because we, on the other side of Genesis 3, without revelation on this, we're pretty much built to self-protect. God, I'll have enough of you to make me feel comfortable, but... You see, at the king's table, the only way you exist, you have to do what Mephibosheth did. You just come into the king's table and then you belong to the king. In the covenant I am with the father, I now belong to him. The whole point of what you were intended for, and this is what Mark Twain's getting at, our why is this. You were created for him to bless you with his presence and for you to be one with him. Augustine said it in the second century, no man find rest until they find rest in thee. G.K. Chesterton said that every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for the father. Chad Norris says, I can tell you what you want. I can tell you why you're here. It's for you to give your life to Jesus and then to follow him. And the destination for all of us is the same, the father. Your destiny is the Father. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, are you really down here on earth to figure out your destiny and what you're supposed to do? You're going to wear yourself out and then be paranoid of whether or not you've missed it or am I doing what I'm supposed to do? But when your destiny is the Father, that stuff happens accidentally. I'm serious. I don't have a resume. My resume is the Father. I don't have a life goal. My life goal is the Father. I don't even see prophetic words as prophetic words. To be quite honest, Romans gave the term Christian. It was a derogatory term. Like, I see myself as the Father's kid. Seriously. It's not make-believe to me, hocus-pocus. Mary had a little lamb. She would have been a sheep. She joined an overactive church and died from lack of sleep. I don't work myself up into tizzies. I lean back into the Father. When you find the Father, you find everything. And when you find the Father, your enemies become his enemies. He made Abram a promise. He says, those who curse you, I'll curse them. I'll go after them. When you find the Father, you don't have nearly the needs of other people. You just don't. Say, Father, what's on your mind? Father, I love you. Father, I just enjoy being with you. You see, God's not trying to do a lot of things through you. He's not an American like we are. He's not looking to build something in, in 10 years. The Father's trying to do stuff with you. 
But the relationship side of things always trumps the responsibility side of things. In a Western mindset, you view the scriptures as what am I supposed to do? What am I here to do? And you even say things like this, I'm running out of time. I'm in my 70s. Running out of time? As though you're not going to be with him forever? Running out of time for what? Listen to ourselves. We got to hurry. We got to hurry. Hurry for what? Because you see your life as you got to accomplish something before you die. What are you trying to accomplish? All I'm trying to do is to become one with him, to be really good friends with my father. And like James says, whether, whether I go today or in 10 years from now, don't worry about tomorrow. Whatever the Lord wills. The goal is just to be with him and then let the chips fall where they may. I meet very few people. I meet very few people that live that way. Hey, brother, uh, what is your five-year plan? Abba. Abba. So many people have so much stuff planned that the father's like, there's no space for me to even talk about anything. See at the table, if you're not the stronger party, you just sit down at the table. You say, Father, what are we eating tonight? Father, 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 Father. When you look at Jesus, matter of fact, let's just keep reading this passage. He even goes into how he's wired. This is the key to Jesus' success. Jesus just stayed with the Father. He still stays with the Father. He submitted to the Father. You find the Father, you'll find peace. Honest to God, don't you want peace? Well, if I, you know, if, if, if I had this in my life, no, 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 no. You can't find peace. I'm telling you. Most of the people that I'm around, they view spiritual things honestly through the lens of financial capital. I look into the natural, and if I'm successful, and if my business is growing, that, that stuff's going to burn away. What you need is the Father. You need to be a laid-down lover to the Father, where you ask him, I don't want another thought in my mind that's not from you, to where you can be so close that you can feel his conviction on something that you were about to say that you never said it. But this is my Father's glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Go to um, Matthew eleven twenty seven. Look at this. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. Are you getting the point here? Father, 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 Father. Jesus came to reveal the Father. Yes, they're one, but they're also three. And until you find the Father, you'll be a neurotic mess the rest of your life. I don't care if you can pray in tongues. I don't care if you can raise the dead. You don't find peace until you allow Jesus to take you to the one he came to reveal. A lot of people are obsessed about heaven and what it will be like and this and that. I think a lot of God's kids, if they went to heaven and realized the Father wasn't there, they wouldn't mind. This thing was never intended to be about where you go when you die. It's the person you're supposed to be connected to. I'm blessing myself. All right. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one whom the Son wills reveal to him. Philip has basically a heart attack in the upper room and says, show us the Father. I love the Lord's statement. Philip, I've been with you three years. The Lord's a lot nicer than I would have been. I've been with you three years, and you still don't know me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What did Jesus come to do? He came to reveal your dad. You have a paternal dad. I had a dream the other night. This is wild. I, 
Did I tell you about this, Sean? I think I did. But that, uh, patriarchs and matriarchs, I will have to break it down on the whiteboard. Here, in my dream, I'm having a conversation with a leader who's written a couple of books. He's known in a lot of places. And I'm on a whiteboard, and I'm having a conversation about the Garden of Eden. And I wrote on a whiteboard, matriarchs and patriarchs. And I said, uh, God has always been paternal, and he wants mothers and fathers to raise up mothers and fathers that raise up mothers and fathers that raise up mothers and fathers. And I drew on this board. He wants to reproduce this lineage of reproduction of family, 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 family. That's the table. You see, in the West, we've turned it into, I just got to memorize a couple of things, go through the Roman roads, and I'm good. Do you know how many spiritual orphans there are in God's churches all in the West that his heart is bleeding just to know his kids? He wants to know his kids. He wants to know his kids. I went and worked out with Sam the other day at Planet Fitness, and we were just talking, and we were were working out together. I was like, man, I just really like being with him. I didn't want him to do anything for me. Some of y'all about driving crazy when you go into the intercession room because he just wants to be with you. Like, like he, he, he wants intimacy. He was wired for intimacy in the garden. He's always been wired for intimacy. Simon Peter and those guys would have been in shock when Jesus said, call him Abba. And then Paul got revelation, takes it to Gentiles, and they're like, okay, buddy, you get into this gnosko thing in the Greek. I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. That word know is, is more intimate. It was a Jewish idiom for intimacy inside the context of marriage, if you know what I mean. God has always been intimate He wants to be intimate with you. But the question is, are you walking in intimacy with him? We've had so many altar calls over the years of are you in or are you out? And we celebrate conversions. We also should be celebrating those who are in intimacy with your dad. He just wants his family back. He just wants his family back. He cries more than you think. I see his tears right now. He brutally sacrificed his son for what? I mean, honestly, if I made you answer the question, you could give me some ecclesiastical version of your eschatology and why you get to go to heaven when you die. Why not go to the Father right now? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? What if the next move of God has more to do with us going back to the original intent of Genesis 1 and 2 than it does on waiting for us to go up into the sky? That is the table the table of intimacy is what you're starving for. Because I'm just telling you, a lot of people, it's like, Father, you just, I'm going to intercede for my spouse one more time for the 10th year. And if my spouse will just change this one thing, we will then be complete. When that spouse changes that one thing, you will then be praying for another. Quit looking for answers in crevices where you can't find them. My job, just interject. The next school, the average college student, I believe, now changes their major 10 times in four years. You know what the common theme is? We can't find shalom. A lot of spirit-filled people are the most guilty about this because it's like, how many conferences do you have to go to? Why not just go take a walk with a father for a month with just your word? I told Mike Jones last night for the next couple of months, I just want to work out with a father physically. I, I like fitness stuff. I just want to be with him. You'll grow more between now and Christmas if you will just stop trying to be a parasite on someone else's intimacy with the father. Just come to the table yourself. And matter of fact, go study it through the word. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and say, what was the original intent? Because a lot of people in here, you think, well, God, he wants this from me. You know what he wants from you? He wants you. 
He wants you. And he wants you to be like, here I am. A, a lot of seasoned saints try to clean themselves up before they go to him. What are we doing? Take that shame covering off and just say, here I am. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do is accept my own acceptance. Because <laughs> I always have about 10 reasons that I need to tell the father of why me and him need some time to work some things out. It drives him crazy. He doesn't like that. Stop that. That's where a lot of workaholics come from. They're not bad people. You know what they're really doing? They don't even know they're doing it. They're trying to earn daddy's approval. You know what earned daddy's approval? The blood of his own son. And you know what excites him the most when you realize what the blood was shed for? He's so tired of that conversation that the blood was shed so you go somewhere when you die. The blood was shed so you can come back to him. And he had the plan in place before Adam and Eve did it. The devil's number one job in your life, number one job, is to condemn you because condemnation will keep you from the table. Conviction won't. Conviction will just sober you up at the table. Condemnation will keep you from the table. That's why Romans 8.1 that Luther called the gateway to the Bible, Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, Chad, you just don't understand. I've been dealing with sexual addiction for so long. There's no way I can be in intimacy with God. No, you don't understand. You don't understand. I'm on my fifth marriage. No, you don't understand. He's very nice. He's the nicest person I've ever met. And he wants you to come home to the table. And I'm talking to y'all in here. I'm serious. This is a word for this group. Let's stand up together. I'm going to give an invitation. I saw a picture last night of people at the altar just receiving a baptism of the Father's love. If that's you, if you need fresh revelation on the baptism of the Father's love and you've been living too long away from the table, I want you to come forward. I'm just going to speak a, a blessing, an impartation of you, of a, of a fresh baptism of love. But we're going to let the Holy Spirit be prayer servant today. If you, if, if you just, th- this is actually an invitation to those who are already in Christ. He just wants to love on his kids. I just want to bless you with such revelation of what's available to you for intimacy. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are cherished. You are wanted. You are prayed for. He wants to be your all in all. The Father's reminding me right now he never wanted to name Saul king. He never wanted to do it because he wanted to be their king. His heart longs to connect. There's no one in here that has a need for intimacy or a desire that came from you. It came from your maker. I bless this house and I bless those in the front right here in the name of Jesus that you would walk in such intimacy with the Father that you would begin to even have the literal aroma of heaven on you. I bless you that the Father's presence would be so on you that the peace and shalom you carry would bring peace to others. I hit the reset button in the name of Jesus. May this summer be the greatest summer you've ever had with the Father. May you hear from him 100 times a day, 200 times a day. I bless you with the same relationship that Jesus had with the Father, that you would be that close to the Father. Go in peace. God bless.